Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're talking about Sting's historic debut on WWE's Monday Night Raw. You listen to them? Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. All right, hello, 83 Weeks fans. Welcome to your show, the show that's just for you. We are covering the latest episode of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, where they are talking about Sting's Raw debut from January 2015. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we are live. We got everybody live chatting tonight. We got to make sure we pull that up and say hello to everyone who's joined us. We do this on the 83 Weeks channel on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. So please join us and share your thoughts along with these two gentlemen here. You know him as Eric's digital producer. Hi, Steve Kaufman. Why, hello. Uh, shout out to Hybridize78 in the chat, RJ Metal 93 in the chat, DM87 in the chat. Love it. Y'all up in the chat doing it. <laughs> they all up in the chat, as is the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment and independent wrestler, George What's up, everyone? It's me. It's you. (laughs) And uh, we did plan to have Eric calling in live tonight from Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager Cruise. Part (laughs) duh. Part duh. Part duh. But unfortunately, the connection there is so bad that we can't even make a phone call happen. We are so sorry, you guys. But we promise next, right? Wait, before I promise? Next Um, week? He hasn't responded back to my next week question mark, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have Eric next week when he's... uh Domestic, domestic again. Yes, yeah, so stay tuned to uh, to the social media to make sure, but we are planning on having Eric back next Wednesday, and we will be asking him, did he get involved in the AEW production that was happening on the boat? Uh, we, of course, need to get an update on the never-ending question of, has he talked to anyone at AEW about actually working there? Mm-hmm. And I'm um, also dying to know if he had considered the fact that he would be meeting John Moxley this week when he recorded this episode where he said that he is not a top guy yet, and that he's got a lot of sameness and i know that's gonna be a, i i i expect i didn't check like the twitter after that yeah. but i'm sure that got a lot of you know controversial comments from that uh but i agree with him oh really mm-hmm. um do we want to start there yeah Actually, let's just let's just jump he right said in it, it's worth mentioning i think what eric thinks is a top guy is based on when he did when he ran a wrestling business which is completely different from now. I think John Moxley is absolutely a top guy in AEW, and that that means something completely different than Hogan or Sting in WCW, or even Becky Lynch or Seth Rollins in the WWE currently. Right. And like he was comparing him to Jericho, and I think Jericho is just kind of. I would argue. I say sizzle and steak a lot. I think Jericho is sizzle, and someone like John Moxley or uh, Sammy Guevara are the steak. I think top guy just gets thrown around a lot these days. I think, uh, not that you guys do this, but I feel like these days it's so easy to say somebody's a top guy because everybody else thinks so. I think a lot of people don't really have, uh, I I think are are, are hiding behind maybe reality or maybe hiding behind like just maybe other people's comments of like maybe because a certain journalist said 
this person is a top guy. Oh, we're going to just believe everything that he says. I, I, I think J- John Moxley has, I even thought in WWE, where he's he wasn't quite at at somebody like a Roman Reigns or, or somebody like that. Now, is he a top guy in AEW? I think so. But is he a top guy overall in the pro wrestling landscape? I think far from it. I think somebody like a Cody or Jericho are way above on the overall pro wrestling landscape. But I do think that John Moxley, uh, I think he's got a ways to go to being one of the top guys in the overall wrestling. Well, he just hasn't been out of the constraints of WWE long enough to make himself. It's been a top nine guy. months already, though. Co- I mean, Cody's been Cody's a top guy. But is I that think. enough time to really show the range and the things that Eric was really wanting? I to guess see it, from I guess it long? depends on the guy because at the same time, uh, AEW was created to be everything that WWE isn't in terms of like, oh, now you can finally be yourself. Now you can finally you don't have to worry about scripted promos. You got a little bit more freedom. Well, we've we're seeing that freedom, but I'm still not impressed with what I'm seeing from John Moxley in terms of. I really want to see what you were complaining about that you weren't getting the opportunity to do in WWE. I, don't, I haven't really seen anything just yet as far as, you know, the, the, the craziness of, of the John Moxley. By your own admission, though, how long was Cody out of the WWE before we would all consider him a top guy? Because I would argue NWA title at All In would be the defining moment of like, no, no, he's a top guy. And that was... Time is flat circle, guys. That was less than 20 months ago. I think for Cody... that was over a year after he left. I think for Cody, uh, I mean, he's so out there that within months of leaving WWE, he was on Bound for Glory. He was at New Japan Wrestle Kingdom. He was at, you know, Ring of Honor Final Battle. So within months, he was... like he did, There was that thing where in like a span of a year... He made that list. Yeah. It was the whole gimmick of the, the list, list but and checking it within off. Within like a one-year span, he did WrestleMania. He did Bound for Glory. He did even PWG's Bola. Like mm-hmm. so many things that helped him be that guy to the point where by the time AEW came around or even before Arlen, where I was like, yeah, like I'm going to invest in Cody because because I know that he's investing in himself. Mm-hmm. So you think Double or Nothing, G1, WrestleMania, and I whatever else John Moxley's done in the last 12 minutes? A dedicated d- pay-per-view special to just the Shield breaking up? <laughs> Reunion breaking up, Shield one last time? I see it. I, I, just, I, th- I think I just he's think done a lot in the last 12 months. He's done a lot, but not at the level of what Cody did. Interesting. Yeah, well, the Ascension didn't uh, escape <laughs> Eric's criticism either, but uh, he really wasn't harping on the performance themselves as much as just their gimmick. And it was so fun to hear Eric's thoughts on some of the current WWE stars. This is probably the latest watchback that they've done, right? Yes. 2015? 2015, for sure. Yeah, so it was cool to hear him talk about people that are really still there and to just kind of get that blast from the past ourselves, like when Cesaro and Tyson Kidd were teaming up, mm-hmm. how freaking great that was, um, and how maybe not great some other things. Things <laughs> well, that we're going down at this time, or how poorly some things were presented, because yeah. I I would argue the ascension down in NXT before they came up in the to the main roster in twenty I think it was late twenty fourteen they came up they worked in NXT and then they came up and then they were immediately getting clowned by the New Age Outlaws and the NWO and in a way that they couldn't possibly come back that they just got clowned because they got clowned by a bunch of guys who never had to come in the ne- like who never had to come back the next day and do the favor. Or guys like the New Age Outlaws, who even when they come back the next Sunday and do the favors, didn't actually really give do many favors. And especially, I think at that time, I think NXT 2014 is much different well, than yeah. NXT 2020, right. where we saw 
what we thought, oh my god, these guys are getting called up. Bo Dallas is getting called up. Adam Rose is getting called up. The oh, Ascension. That's so exciting. And it's just like, <laughs> but for nothing. And then we saw clearly the difference of like Triple H's way of thinking with Vince McMahon's way of thinking as far as like, wait, these guys were over there. They were technically in the WWE system. How come they can't get over here? Now, I'm not saying it was Ascension's fault. I'm not saying it was Vince's fault. We're not going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But it was just a different time back then where I feel like, um, I know they're not there anymore, but I feel like the Ascension would, would be great right now in NXT. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point where I think they would be the guys that they need to be, especially with the exposure they have weekly, uh, two hours on USA. Sorry, I'm correcting. Uh, I wrote the title, Sting Day Returns to Raw, and I'm now realizing, thank you specifically to Blackbird Theater 1 in the chat, that Sting debuts on Raw. Yeah. I'm changing, changing that right now, so if you're watching this after this moment, <laughs> that's not the title. Okay. <laughs> calling it out, calling it out. That's where my head was. Um, I also think if you look at, if you look at since I want to say Aprilish, when you saw people like the Viking Raiders come yeah, up on yeah. the scene, how many actual noted competitors since then have the Viking Raiders actually faced versus local talent? And I think if you look at the Viking Raiders, you, you just pull up a picture of the Viking Raiders and you watch them get clowned by the New Age Outlaws mm-hmm. in their first or second week on television. You run a very real risk of. Eh, if they look a little stupid and someone you already know is over calls them a little stupid, that might be the death of them. Yeah. That it's easier for them to come out and work. Like, burials are real simple. Getting over is hard. Getting buried is real easy. (laughs) That's my that's my quote. How how theoretical for life, also, I might say. And this was, this whole episode was about the big debut of Sting. They talked a little bit about his WCW time, too, and how Sting really was WCW, as much as Ric Flair was as well, but that Sting is really a WCW guy. Is that how you guys think of him even to this day? Yes, because the difference between Sting and Ric Flair is Ric Flair, uh, I'm sorry, Sting never went to WWE when WCW was around. Right. Ric Flair, and there was always talks yeah. in 88 of him going to WWF. There was always talks, and maybe even late, a little bit later, but I know he actually went to the WWF in 91, was there until early 93. Uh, but you can't say the same about Sting. And, and I'm sure there was contract talks. I'm sure they... I'm sure they made an effort to to get Sting onto the roster, but no, like he was a very loyal guy. Uh, People will say like, oh, he should have gone, but you got to respect loyalty. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, also you have to respect not only loyalty, but economic reality. TNA was paying, like, it's not like nobody was paying Sting and he was just, oh, I'm not going to make any money. Like TNA was paying him enough. That's like, oh, I'm loyal to to them. They're going to pay me, like, I think he was making about mid six figures and he was working a taping a month, probably like not a bad well, deal. I think or like TNA was a couple bit... tapings a month, but in one trip to Orlando. Well, I think TNA was a little bit different too because I think Sting Sting has said he never went to WWF after the buyout because he he, he thought he was going to get treated poorly after he saw how the mm. WCW guys got treated during the invasion. Um, but yeah, during especially when um, when there was wrestling was at its hottest ninety eight ninety nine. I'm sure I'm sure he had the opportunity to go. But no, like I said, he was loyal to Ted Turner, he was loyal to Bischoff or whoever was in charge. Um, I know I can't speak for TNA, but, but there was, but also even Sting in '98, there wasn't a super great track record of somebody, especially like Sting, like synonymous with the Southern wrestling, yeah, coming over to the WWF and being treated what we would call correctly. Like Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard went right around like uh, like probably five or six years prior to the time we're talking about. Don't quote my math. I think it was '89, '89, '89. Um, they went there. They weren't treated great. Like you I argue, disagree, but go on. Okay, but like, but I think there are plenty of case studies where they come there. They come there from 
somebody who has a name for themselves in Southern wrestling, and the first thing that happens when they get to the WWF is, oh, well, we need to reform them to be something we created. Mm -hmm. Instead of, how do we lean into something they already made? I think AJ Styles is one of the rare exceptions of somebody who came in with that clout and never got it taken away. Mm -hmm. And Eric talked a little bit about that on this episode and acknowledged it, essentially, in conversation about NWO, where he dropped a very interesting tidbit. We haven't gotten any updates on this for a while, because, uh, you know, we can only ask, ask him... We can only ask him every other week or we'll, so. We'll get, we'll get to this. <laughs> uh, but he did say that, you know, as far as he knows, he will, pro quote, I quote, <laughs> probably be watching on TV when NWO is inducted into the Hall of Fame. So an update on that, which I still find so incredibly shocking, I still think he's going to get inducted. I believe that no, I believe he's going to get inducted or will induct them, and no one's told him yet. That's I, my. He definitely doesn't know. Yeah, that's no, the no, case. He, definitely he doesn't would. Know. He would be real coy around this conversation if he was for sure booked or like loosely booked, or they were talking to him in any way. Yeah, and I feel like we're getting to know him well enough to know when he's kayfabing us a little bit. A little bit. Well, a little bit. I don't think he actually kayfabes people so much as he just avoids the top. Like he, he filibusters for lack of a better word <laughs> that he can he can steer a conversation even when you think you are so i do think if if he talked about it at all and especially giving that exact a detail right no one has contacted him as of this moment well eric says he took the nwo guys from wwe and made them bigger stars than they ever were in wwe uh chat roll <laughs> shiree hybrid teddy blackbird heater do you agree with all of this tom uh is that is that the case I agree. Uh, I think that's case by case, but in general, yes. Yeah. In, At least made them a lot more money. I think I think also when you're talking about a war, like history is written by the people who win. Yeah. In wars. So the argument within the if you were watching a documentary on the WWE network about a similar topic, the argument they're gonna make is that Eric Bischoff had all of Ted Turner's Ted Turner's money and he picked up our very expensive dregs. And was able to run with them and change very little. Mm -hmm. The reality is for every Macho Man, there were like four... George, you probably have a good example of like... Somebody who didn't do much in WWE and then he picked them up and they... Like four Scott Halls. I think Scott Halls a rough example. But like for every yeah. Macho Man... Where I see it's what like, you're saying. For every Macho Man, he picks somebody up and changed next to nothing that they did in the WWF. Except like let them wrestle. Right. There were plenty of opportunities that were just like being semi-squandered in the WWF. That they're like, you want to come over here and actually do something? Let's do that. Like, I'll actually put you on TV and make you care. Like, put in the care that they're not putting in for whatever reason. I do think they were bigger stars because, especially in '95 and '96, when the business was "quote unquote" down, mm -hmm. um, you you know, WWF had Razor Ramon and, and, and Diesel. They had Scott Hall and Kevin Asher, sharp Pablo Gasoline. <laughs> but you know, they had these guys and their roster. And so, why is it that when they went to WCW? Now, now WCW becomes the hottest thing because they use them correctly. I mean, not to, not to say that Razor and Diesel weren't used incorrectly, but because they were made into bigger stars because all suddenly the rating shifted. And yes, it was kind of cool seeing these quote unquote WWF guys on WCW Nitro. But yeah, I completely agree. I do think that Scott Hall and Kevin Ash were much bigger in WCW than they were in, in, in WWE. Teddy Corbin's chiming in. He said, agreed. Hall and Nash became national and a part of pop culture mm -hmm. with WCW. Stevie 100 WL said, WWE treated Sting like fake Sting. I saw that. That was really <laughs> And even so, like, imagine being a wrestler, like, around that time, 95, 96, where, like, you know, you may be a little bit directionless. I'd be begging to be in the in, in NWO. 
Because that gave you like such a boost. Like, look at somebody like Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who was just like floundering. He was mm-hmm. an American male, American male, and then boom, goes to NWO and becomes, in my opinion, one of the top guys that WCW could have had and was on a trajectory to be one of the top guys. But obviously, his mama probably got in the way. But <laughs> you know. Well, our chat rule wants to talk about some of the guys who didn't do well, so well in WCW. Like I said, it's case by case. Overall, I think people who come from the WWF to WCW did well either because they changed nothing or they changed everything. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people in the middle that uh, hybridize, hybridize 78, DiBiase, Heenan, uh, British Bulldog, Neidhart are the four in the chat right now. That, yeah, like, that have been DiBiase and Heenan? That makes no sense. Um, I How mean, do you use Harry Nitton correctly? He was a commentator. DiBiase couldn't even wrestle. Sorry, Hybrid Eye. I just completely disagree. <laughs> but I do agree with the Bulldog and Nightheart. Feel free to clap I do agree. Yeah, feel free. I do agree with <laughs> Bulldog and Nightheart, and I do think, to our overall discussion, I think DiBiase could have done better, even in a managerial role, if he completely changed his gimmick. However... Maybe he I, was really poor. I will say with the Bulldog and Nightheart thing, I think that was just the case, because they came in in early 98, that was just the case of... They just got too many people on the roster, and it's like, how do you just? Because imagine Bulldog having a having a roster with Brett Bulldog and Nightheart without the NWO there. You know what I mean? Like you can easily, but now it would just do crowded. Where it's like, oh, because I remember like in '98 they got like Bulldog, uh, you know, Nightheart. I think they had like like uh, Greg Valentine come yeah. in or whatever. They had all these guys that were very familiar, but they just had nothing to do with because. Obviously, NWO was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Also, I think by 98, 99, they had a big problem that Eric himself has admitted on this show that the NWO grew beyond they ever thought it could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And the only possibility for the growth was like, well, more people need to join the NWO to a point that the opening segment of Nitro would be the NWO is here. And it would be a parade. It would be like, oh, they're still here. And then there's, there's that guy. And then. Lex Luger! Lex Luger's on the end of everybody! Like, and there's like 50 people in the ring to cut one promo about one thing, and it becomes difficult that you steal a lot of oxygen away from someone like Greg the Hammer Valentine, who could really make an impact turning up. Mm-hmm. Oh, not in 98. But, but like, like, well, like somebody 90... like Rick Martell, though, mm-hmm. who was still not in his prime, but can still go in 98, like, oh, let's put him in the TV title program with Booker T and Fit Finley, you know? It's like... Well, I think oh. there's a way, maybe not in this exact scenario, but... I, I always felt, and they didn't do enough of inter... Because there were so many people within the NWO. That Just I the WCW in general as well. But like, but like you could have had feuds within the NWO. You could have had gradation within the, within the NWO. I thought you could have had a lot more faces mm-hmm. join the NWO. That the NWO is an overall heel organization, but because they're so big, mm-hmm. Goldberg is just affiliating with the NWO early on. Just, you know, kind of like a NASCAR driver would affiliate with a company they might not be super proud of a year later. Just be like, yeah, man, that's what I had to do for my career. But like, I really don't want to talk about the NWO, but it was so singularly focused that I think by 99 they could have could have benefited from a bit of that. Right. Well, let's fast forward back to 2015 and this WWE Raw episode, because I am dying to hear what our chat role thinks about one JBL. A mm. little bit of chatter about him on this episode, kind of exploring the idea, is JBL misunderstood? And um, Eric seems to think so. He called him a fun guy. He says they always got along and that he always saw JBL treat people respectfully. 
Um, I was only around him a tad bit in my time there, but I would uh, echo the same sentiment. Always just saw him treat people respectfully. Um, I had a, a very nice conversation with him once after a pay-per-view. I remember I bought him a beer, and he was, <laughs> he was shocked and happy about that. Um, do you guys think that he is misunderstood, or is he this kind of bully villain that uh, Mauro Ranallo fans have made him out to be? If I had to hazard a guess, <laughs> I would say... Um, if you've seen Sons of Anarchy, you would know that everyone within Sons of Anarchy is like ride or die for each other. Yeah. But the second an outsider comes in, that you might like that they might as well be a literal mouse. That I think any bully story you may have heard from JBL, mm-hmm. he either saw someone as an outsider in that moment or straight up just saw someone as an outsider and treated them like an outsider. That I think he's I think he's like an onion in that sense. There's a very there's a very layered personality. Once you get past a fairly ugly exterior. It's like, no, no, once you're one of the boys, mm-hmm. once I consider you an insider, we're, it's sunshine and rainbows, but if you're going to come up to him in the airport. So do you think he's a bully or not? I have no idea. <laughs> I think, do you want to know who I think, I, whose take I would like to hear on this and we probably won't hear takes from them ever again? Joey Styles. Yeah. Um, I think, well, but that's the thing about these people kind of laying low. The last few years, JBL has been laying low, mm-hmm. like since everything happened with the commentary team. I think. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and he's laying low in uh, I forget exactly where Bermuda? he lives. So yes, where he's like builds schools for the kids and is like trying to help the world and like be a, probably a nice old man. He probably so, has so, grandkids and like they probably call him Pop Pop. Like you know? <laughs> he, can't, he can't be that bad. I've personally never met him. Um, you know, if you ask Bruce Pritchard, if you ask somebody like a Peter Rosenberg, and I remember he really went off on like. Justin Roberts' report, because I remember he had a book around the same time that talked about a lot of the bullying that JBL did for Justin Roberts. Mm, that's right. Um, and, and, and if you ask, I'm pretty sure it's something else because he's a little biased, but I remember listening to Peter Rosenberg is like, he went off and saying like, JBL has never been anything like that to me. You know, he's a professional, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't that with other people. Like, even like with the whole, not to go really mainstream, with the whole like Harvey Weinstein thing, like Jennifer Lawrence was like, oh, well, he never sexually assaulted me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that he didn't do that to someone else. You right. know what I mean? Every- so that's my point is like, I, 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 it always frustrates me when people like are so quick to defend it, where it's like, yeah, you're talking about your personal relationship with that person, not somebody else's. So I'm going to go with the person that sounds most rational. So when I was reading Justin Roberts' book, he sounded like he he was rational. He didn't sound like he was talking from emotion, more mm-hmm. so from experience. So I do think that maybe now JBL has calmed down a little bit, and I do think a lot of it had to do with that punch that he received from Joey Styles <laughs> like almost 10 years ago um, that maybe was like, oh, wow, like people actually can fight back. <laughs> you yeah. know, People will actually knock me out for it. And, and I've heard ever since then, and I have a friend that can attest to this, that like he's kind of changed as far as... Maybe not so much on the bullying anymore. Okay. I also, on the Mar Ronaldo thing, I know nothing about that because JBL hasn't blocked me on Twitter and Mar Ronaldo has. <laughs> so I don't. Who is Mar Ronaldo? That came that, out. That's as, a whole other episode. What did though. you say to him to make him block you? Well, I'll send you the screenshot. Oh, boy. I didn't say anything about that. Well, what do our live viewers have to say? Tom said JBL was a good heel. Anyone who can be world champ with a clothesline as a finisher was a good worker. And he was awesome on commentary. Uh, Teddy points out that Greg Ganya was a bully. And a, what, like a, a bit of a fibber as well. Well, you know. <laughs> right? I, 
Also, like with yeah, it's funny. Like if I had known that there was beef there, I'm sure you can. You, you were there too, Steve. Like I'm sure at any point we we're like, oh my god, it looks like Eric Bischoff and Greg Gagne are gonna like be near each other. Oh my god, it's gonna be fireworks. <laughs> like I didn't know yeah, being I, there, <laughs> there was like beef for heat between them. Uh, you I know, because we saw Gagne with Rick Flair. No, they were former tag team champions in AWA, I believe. Um, but yeah, n- I didn't know about the heat that Bischoff and Gagne had. Mm-hmm. That would have been fun to watch. Also, if there's if you had heat in 1995 and then you didn't speak or hear from them until 2020 <laughs> is that heat so much as you had heat like i think there's a difference i think and and any other sort of business other than wrestling yeah like you get over it yeah. because it's wrestling and it's such like a like a narrow family you're like i don't know people i, I do think there are people in that world too that like to fan heat too yeah. of but course like, where have heat becomes have heat for no reason Stevie said, it seems like JBL was hard on new WWE talent. You that may be the case. Uh, I've heard that. Like, I've heard accounts that he probably wouldn't deny mm-hmm. that probably lack a bit of context that I don't want to judge overall. But yeah, you've heard enough of those accounts that you know there's something there or we wouldn't have. We wouldn't be talking about it either way. Like, there's something. <laughs> well, and of course, these new uh, talent that may be coming in wouldn't be at their prime because uh, shockingly revealed on this episode that both Eric and Conrad think that the age of about 39 is the prime age for a wrestler. Now, yes! <laughs> now, I've only been in the ring that one time, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of people do a lot of wrestling, and I was really surprised that they didn't say, oh, I think I would have said maybe like, 30, maybe 28, 30 is what I would guess would be the prime age for a wrestler. Like 39, wow. I think it's I think it's ultimately fascinating because if you were to ask the average wrestler or the wrestling the average wrestling promoter, mm-hmm. what's the age you want? I think the answer is the under 25 range. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's a coachability and a leadership thing, not necessarily a who will think for themselves, because I think it's well documented that the army really doesn't want to mess with anyone after about 24 years old. Yeah. Because there's something about being 24, 25 that when leadership tells you to go do something, you don't just go do it before you ask a bunch of questions. (laughs) But I think if you were to ask a lot of trainers, who would you want? They would say from a physical standpoint, they'd want somebody young who's been an athlete and like we can mold them. Yeah. Until they're 39 when they're actually good on TV kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you say that because I actually think the same exact thing when it comes to certain um, certain trainers I've had. Really? And I see like like people that are 19, 18, or 20, like they don't know better. And not, not to say that I know much more or whatever. No, but, but, I, like, I, no, no, but I'm saying like because I agree because like I see 18, 19, 20, they'll just say yes to everything, mm-hmm. right? Yep. As opposed to like me who's been around for a second. It's like not that I don't say yes to everything, but I'm always like – Oh, like, I don't know, just like not hesitant, but just like, like I question it in my mind mm-hmm. as opposed to these kids that don't question anything. They mm-hmm. just do it. Coach says so. There's, the coach says so mentality dies around 24, 25 years old, mm-hmm. which is why someone like LeBron on the Lakers, he's ca- he's like he's assistant head coach of the Lakers. Right. Cause you, not just because he's LeBron, but because you reach a certain age and you've done it enough mm-hmm. that that's you come in with your yeah. own clout and there's. I think it goes to an overarching thing of creatives and leadership and things. and Well, and in addition to just the attitude, but given that time for character development. Like, I think anyone who does anything on camera, it just takes a while. 
Mm-hmm. You, even if you are a natural and you have that it factor and that star quality, people can tell that you're inexperienced, that you're greed. It takes years sometimes for people to just sort of have that confidence that's so effortless that you believe what they're doing, that it mm-hmm. gives them more believability, right? And I think that can maybe kind of only come with age. Mm-hmm. It comes with age and experience and not mm-hmm. just experience in your thing versus overarching experience. Like, that leads like to confidence. life experience. Well, life experience leads to confidence, <laughs> and then confidence filters back into whatever you're doing. Right. So there's something to be said about 30, like I think 38, 39, but I think what they left out is it would be best if you had still been an athlete or at least dabbled in pro wrestling around 18 or 19. Yeah. Like ideally, I think what they're saying is if you trained around 19 or 20 and you stayed in the indie circuit and like worked through the system and worked through the yes coach, no coach. All the way till you were about 39, and you really just kind of get it and know mm-hmm. it. I think is what they ultimately mean by AJ, the AJ Styles is what they mean. Mm-hmm. They, nobody can really tell AJ Styles how to be AJ Styles in the ring. And they don't. He goes out there and he's just AJ Styles. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he gets plenty of direction. Well, yeah. But I, also, <laughs> I also think um, Conrad has made it a point to argue about... Um, Orange Cassidy and Marco Stunt, when people talk a lot about, oh, the, the guy just puts his pockets in and he does nothing. Mm-hmm. Or like Joey Janela, where he's like, isn't wrestling at its purest, car- most carnival, when you go out there and get the biggest pop, the biggest reaction, the most money, for the least amount of work? Mm-hmm. So I think there's something you said about a 39-year-old being more attuned to how to do it that way yes then an 18 year then an 18 year old who's training to do something very physical uh-huh and to do all the things well because an 18 year old who's tr- who's already an athlete or training as an athlete would have a different mindset right then if i train to be a wrestler tomorrow mm-hmm. i it would be the einstein quote if you want something done efficiently ask a lazy person to do it right i'd be the laziest pro wrestler you've ever seen i'd either get over or i wouldn't Well, let's talk about a few guys who are maybe up there in age, but as far as Prime goes, who knows? Sting and Undertaker. So, of course, we never got the big match at WrestleMania, and Eric and Conrad had a really interesting conversation about if we ever would, if we should, and Eric had this kind of genius idea, or maybe it was Conrad, Eric said there'd be a lot to work with here in a tag match between Undertaker and Sting versus, I don't know, who would be good for that? Authors of Pain? No. Ooh. The Undisputed Era? No. Two of the under- I'm so, I'm, y- Y'all are asking for ideas. I'm throwing out ideas. <laughs> chat, chat roll, who do you think? But the either, New Day? Either like, way, him admitting, like, yeah, there would be a lot to work with there because they're kind of tense. Maybe they're, uh, they've teamed together begrudgingly. Would fans be satisfied by that? Nope. Do you Do you think? Nope. Really? Yeah, Eric said they'd be disappointed in it, too. Well, it depends on Although if... There's a lot to it's work a good with. idea, but at this point of their lives where... If they are gonna have a match, like and 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 it feels like every every Undertaker match is like, oh, is this gonna be his last match? Is this gonna be his last match? And somebody like Sting who hasn't even wrestled in four and a half years, like if you're gonna have him in a match, you have if they're gonna have one more match, you gotta have it against each other. Not think, to say that I kind of want to see it because I kind of don't anymore, just because Sting is so like we saw how his last match went, and just for his health sake, I don't want to see it. Well, because you know, someone in the chat had mentioned in a bit more crude way that oh, the buckle bomb. The buckle bomb ruins Sting's career and any chance of us seeing Sting and Undertaker. Whereas there's there's fact in that in that sentence that he took a buckle bomb with a, in a match with Seth Rollins and then he never wrestled again or has not really wrestled ever again. Like there's right. there's truth to those events, whether anyone will admit it or not, that I think we're I don't know. At this point, I don't know if I would want to see it only because 
if it's one more match, it's just going to be the two of them, and the two of them is two very unknown entities of whether they can all... They can go and deliver, and they haven't... But I do think if we had... If we want a truly fantasy book... Yeah. If the buckle bomb never happened, the shield reunited... Or, like, Taker and Sting have a stare down. The Shield reunites and beats them up. And then they team up to take down the Shield. And they take down the Shield, but you plant a seed of doubt. And you build up to a WrestleMania match that because of the seed of doubt, whatever the seed of doubt is, like a like a Hogan macho man. Yeah. You build toward a WrestleMania just with that seed of doubt. And the Shield gets to move. Everyone in the Shield gets the rub because they got to work with Taker and Sting and look really, really strong. Of course specifically Roman Reigns, for no other reason. <laughs> but I do think, if I could fantasy book it, I would say right around this time, we're talking about 2015, 2016, would be a good time to give a really big group full of three people you know you're pegging for the future. Like, your franchise tag. Like, those, those three guys were all franchise tagged by 2013. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I have an idea. What if we put them in someone's corners? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're... I hate to say that those two guys would be valeting someone, but, no, man- but managing, speaking for them, nonetheless, there to uh, support them and cheer them on and be in their corner, and that it uh, eventually gets to Sting and Taker at least maybe yeah. one blow so, or one <laughs> one something. I mean, why, I, why, why is that no, funny? No, because I just can't see Undertaker in someone's corner. Come on, man, I, get in there. Yeah, get on him. It's like I don't know. I, I want to see it because I'm sure it'd be do funny it in an Undertaker way. You don't you don't think he could figure out how to do that? And make I, it I'd love to see it just for the curiosity aspect. That's just, I don't know. I think Bray Wyatt would be the only choice if what we're pitching is true. The only person that would make any sense of Undertaker being in their corner would be Bray Wyatt. And it would be the fiend Bray Wyatt and the Undertaker's in his corner. And then who would Sting's champion be? And then what would the story be? There are worse ideas. Like, yeah, the, I don't hate this. The chat role would want to get the Wyatt family involved, too, if we're back in, in 2016. The Wyatt family would be another one that you could, like, that's a real good way to franchise tag mm-hmm. a bunch of up-and-coming people that you think, not just this team, everyone has something to say here, and then we're building toward the one-on-one match. What other matches would you say are to the cal- like to the FOMO caliber of Undertaker versus Sting? Remember how we taught Eric what FOMO means? Austin Rock. <laughs> or sorry, not Austin Rock, Austin Goldberg. Austin Goldberg oh, Austin Goldberg is probably pretty much the only other one. But realistic ones? Like, I mean, like, matchups, yeah. Realistic, realistic matchups that people expected and wanted to see, but that never actually happened. Oh, yeah, then you had to be Austin Goldberg. I thought you meant this matches Austin that can Go- still happen now. It's like Austin Goldberg, and then it's like Hogan. Like Hogan Austin? Hogan Austin, and yeah. then like, I think in that top ten would probably be Punk Benoit, which we really were Ooh. a weekend away from seeing. Right. It's the, what all I'll say about it. But we were very close to seeing that match, and a summer's worth of that match. That like I think that sounds like a different show that I think Flobo's out there pitching right now of a top ten <laughs> of cool cool stuff like that. Right, that would be awesome. And uh, we got a little blurb about Joey Mercury Oof. in this episode of the show. Have you been following the Joey Mercury of well, it all? Well, to be honest, I hadn't really just a little bit. But th- I, oh man, I was enthralled. Eric <laughs> sold it. I was doing all the googling. I went down all the rabbit holes. Kelly and everybody. And wow. To be fair, I don't think he's deleted any of the tweets. I think they're all up there. Like it's all. It's like a fabulous soap opera. I got onto that one pretty early. It's because I mean, you think about it, and you're like, why did Ring of Honor and their women's champion like you don't just fire a women's you champion? Ways, you know, yeah. like man, something must be going 
on. They're like, oh, well, that's a good reason why to fire, why to fire that person then. Well, so but, if you're going to fire everyone who's having an affair behind the scenes in professional wrestling, you ain't going to have a whole lot of performers you, or backstage production people left. Well, I mean, but yeah, when, when, depending on the people that they are. Like, if somebody, uh, how the best way to describe it, like... I mean, I was going to make a Triple H reference, but like that's just impossible. Yeah, that's <laughs> that will never. That's not I think right they're there. all smart enough to not to not go there. Don't pull a Triple H and make any dumb sexist jokes inadvertently, George. Uh, Did you think that joke was sexist? I thought it was ha- more hacky than sexist. No, I think what he meant, uh, we're talking about Triple H saying that Paige maybe had kids she didn't remember. I think in the moment what he meant was she's just so crazy she could have. Like he was making yeah, a joke, yeah, like, yeah. oh, she's so crazy, she could have kids and not even remember and whatever. But, but like, that's a but man's punchline. Yes, and of course, people were going to take it as he was saying she was so promiscuous. See, it's funny because I thought she got offended because that people were very aware that she can't have kids. I this no. actually shined a light on all of that to me. Nobody I was unaware that or gives a crap. I was that's unaware the first of reaction that. that I got. I was unaware of that completely, and I, I, I am like Paige is like number four fan. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was surprised that her and so many of the other women spoke out about mm-hmm. it. However, um, I can assure you that that is the way that Paige is probably talked about backstage. It, it's funny because like, everyone all the time. Uh, speaking of backstage, the on WWE backstage, you had uh, Renee Young, Christian, Paige, and CM Punk, and one of the segments was uh, talking about how amazing Cactus Jack versus Triple H, Triple H was from Royal Rumble 2000. But Paige and CM Punk were not part of the segment. Um, I, I don't know. It's part of me was like CM Punk wasn't there because obviously they don't like each other, and Paige wasn't there because maybe she doesn't really want to talk about any good things about Triple H right now. You know, right? I, there's some drama. To, I, I, there's some tea I've, I've missed in the last seven days. <laughs> <laughs> what about what WWE did to make Sting the vigilante? Like, where the hell did this vigilante Sting thing come from? Why did they think it made sense? And did you do you guys remember thinking it was dumb Absolute, in 2015? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember. I made my bones here at AfterBuzz TV, fantasy booking ideas like that that had a good stem and nothing else, Mm -hmm. that I thought it would be kind of cool if Vigilante Sting would hang out in the rafters for months, Mm -hmm. and sometimes he'd interfere, and most times he would just hang out in the rafters. And I'm talking like big market house shows. Right. Like if they had a house show in Chicago, Sting would hang out in the rafters for two segments. I'm like, Sting, everybody. (laughs) Speaking of of Sting, I, I, I think I'm in the minority. I despised Joker Sting. I also hated, hated it. I hated. I hated Eric most. Eric thought it was good, right? I hated most yeah, of TNA yeah, Sting. He was involved, though. Oh, I, I disliked most it. of what TNA. I liked Main Event Mafia Sting, but hated Joker Sting. Could not stand Joker Sting. Aww. <laughs> well, the the god of wrestling, as our chat roll calls him, Eric Bischoff, disagreed with you. And Matthew, who's wondering where he's at, there was some bad connection on the boat. Uh, but we will have him with us next week, answering all of your questions about what's going down on said boat. I cannot wait to hear all the juicy behind-the-scenes stuff. Or hopefully, too, uh, I know they announced that AEW, I mean, if he's on the cruise next year, AEW Diamond next year is going to be live from the mm-hmm. boat. So I'm like, if they're going to be live, I from the boat. I'm sure they can figure out him to call in for next year. You know, <laughs> some stronger connections on the boat. Which, by the way, he's they're, they're the way boat, ahead just here. Just use on that after satellite feed. They're ported in Nassau right now, and the cell reception in Nassau is New York. No, Nassau, Bahamas. Okay, is where they're ported. And like that, I can speak from experience that the cell reception there isn't great. 
Bermuda, Bahama. Yep. Come on, Eric Cullen. All right, everybody. Well, well I mean, this has been fun. It was kind of cool yeah. to talk about a, sort of the current product for once. And we want to thank you guys all for hanging out with us live, even though we were Ericless. Uh, guys, if they want to keep up with you, and also you all should send in your questions for Eric for next week, since we already know mm-hmm. what we what we want to pick his brain about. And if they want to do that, where can they hit you up at? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter almost exclusively. I am at Steve Kaufman. That is K A U F. M-A-N-N. I'm involved in a lot of YouTube pages, including this one. I got a lot of cool things coming up. This Saturday in Burbank, Moose Lodge, there's going to be a wrestling pro wrestling show. This Sunday, we're going to be on AfterBuzz TV covering the Royal Rumble 2020. So tune on in. Tune in tune in to Royal Rumble 2020 after show. Uh, we want to hear your questions. We want to hear your feedback. And uh, we'll be uh, watching on the live chat as well. And I'm going to have to be watching WWE (laughs) Royal Rumble for the first time in two years. Because, guys, big news. I have joined the crew for the Wrestling Inc. Daily Wrestling News Podcast. You can get the links at Christy Reports on any of my social media. I will be co-hosting on Fridays. I am so looking forward to that. Me too. Make sure you guys are subscribed. And uh, hit me up anytime at Christy Reports. Love to hear from you. Get those questions for Eric Ready. And we will see you next week for... Um. Uh, Wait, I know this. Clash of Champions 30 (laughs) from 1995. We will see you all then. Bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menounos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first. We're the biggest in the world. And we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 